Welcome to the Addiction and Mental Health Podcast, where we discuss hard but important topics surrounding addiction and mental health. Your hosts are writer and blogger Adam Falk, jazz pianist Michael Palma, and writer and mental health advocate Samantha Mineral. We're not healthcare professionals, and none of this should be taken as medical advice. Instead, we're sharing our personal stories and insights around these tough issues. Let's dive in. All right, so what are we talking about today? You know, everything you need to know to be an Alcoholics Anonymous and all the stuff that sucks about Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> it's everything that you think it is, and it's everything you never knew it could be. <laughs> all right, so I... Samantha, hit us with some questions. Yeah, so I don't have much experience with it. I've never been, um, I've never been diagnosed as like an addict or an alcoholic. So I don't have any personal experience other than, you know, knowing some people, um, personally who've been through it, but not close enough to really get like the details about what the process is like. Um, so I guess my first question would be like, how does one get involved in it? Is it usually someone who recommends you? Is it because you yourself feel like you want to go? Um, how do generally people get involved in the program? And is I'm it smiling. free? I'm smiling right now because I got involved because of the courts, <laughs> which I think a lot oh, of people... Oh, okay. <laughs> that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, you get arrested, you get a DUI, they say AA or jail, and you say AA, please, because that sounds much better. I don't know. I'm. It's different for every person. Yeah, how'd you get involved, Mike? Well, I was going to say, in general, how personally I got involved because uh, I had, you know, my family intervene and throw me in a treatment center, and that's that's where I got introduced to it. Well, the, before then, though, uh, I was dating this girl in Boston, and she took me to, like, a couple, like, pretty, like, was like, you need to go. So, so I was going to say, in general, court systems and people's families, mm-hmm. for sure, and then in rehab. Rehab is are, a big one. There, I would say... It is rare for a person to go to their first AA meeting, like, on their own. Yeah. I have a problem. Yeah, it does happen. I've seen people just wander in and be like, I just knew I needed to go, but that's pretty rare. Um, Right. And one one thing that's important to keep in mind is that, especially in terms of how rehabs are, um... They're centered around getting you into AA. Like, that's the main goal. And so you don't find a lot of... Like in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, which I'm most familiar with, there is maybe one to two rehabs out of, you know, a dozen or more that are not trying to get you into AA primarily, where they're like, you need to do other forms of therapy, you need to do cognitive behavioral therapy, you need to try smart recovery, which is like the alternate AA, basically. Like, it's very common. So most people end up, you know, they have a problem. This is how I think most people are. They have a problem, 
in some way they get intervened on, whether that's like a traditional intervention where you get an actual interventionist and all that, or someone just gives them an ultimatum, whether that be a judge or a wife or a husband or whatever the case may be. And then they go to rehab, and then through rehab, they're introduced to AA. It's either that or the court system. The court system sends them directly to AA, but often the court system sends them to rehab, which then sends them to AA. Right. Does it cost anything? Do you pay through, like, an insurance? Is it a free public paid-for program? Well, I think that's one of the um, insidious, I, I want to use that word, insidious Why? parts of AA. I'm because, I'm because it's, okay, yeah, so because it is free. It's 100% free, yep. and you mm-hmm. cannot name anything else in the United States that's like, except for like church stuff. Oh, that's another alternative yeah. to celebrate recovery, which still uses yeah. the 12 steps. But yeah, it's very rare to find some sort of treatment program for a disease that's 100% free other than these like support groups, you know? Like if you yeah. have cancer, you go to a cancer support group, etc. So yeah, it's the same. I, I say insidious because that kind of makes AA the default for so many people because very few people who come in, maybe not very few, but I mean 50% of people who are coming in at least are indigent, you know, they have no money, they've lost everything, or they're, or they're homeless, or, you know, they don't have health insurance anymore because they lost their job, and that's what drove them into AA, um, you know, or they're in and out of the court system, they just don't have, you know, 50 bucks a pop for a, you know, therapist appointment. So AA becomes the default, and that means that everyone goes to it, but the reality is, and this is coming from someone who's got 10 years sober, working the AA 12 steps, and who believes that it does work, you know, research has shown that it work about 5 to 8% of people actually get sober through AA. The vast majority of people don't. So it's like this, everyone looks at it as this is the only way, pretty much, and it's free, so everyone goes to it. But so many people fail at it, and it's like, and then they start to internalize that. This is my fault. It's my fault that I'm failing at it. I am a failure, and they just go back out and go back out and die of this stuff. Wow. So, oh, you, you, all right. Well, let me hear the other. Well, opinions. well, also, well, also, um, you got to remember these ninety percent that are failing didn't even showed up. Just showed up, basically. You know, it, we're not talking about. I think the percentage is higher if you said. Five percent or eight percent of people succeed of everybody that comes to okay. AA, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about the percentage would be higher if it was of of the amount of people that came to AA, got a sponsor, worked all the steps, uh, took meetings into treatment centers. I think that I mean I think that would be a lot different that number. I know that's kind of off topic, but no, I, I think it is kind of on topic because I mean it. That is something that you know people who don't know anything about AA need to know, which is that in order for it to work for you, um, you have to really put in a lot of work. There's a lot of stuff to do. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's not like you work the steps and you're done. It's 
you work the steps for the rest of your life, essentially. And it is a lot of work. Um, yeah, because I mean, a lot of people just come and they're basically there just to drink the coffee and and right. uh, just kind of hang out, which is right. fine. You know, you can do that there. You're you're allowed to. Is but, it fine though, Mike? Because that's where the predators come. The guys who are just drinking coffee and hitting on the girls and whatnot. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's how it, all the oh, time. Man. Look at Samantha; she doesn't even know. <sighs> you don't even don't. know. AA is ranked as like one of the top ways to meet someone. It really is. It's yep. like one of the top wow. ways to like find someone to date. There are people. There are very much people, not just men. There, it's mostly men who will come into AA meetings, and whether they work the steps or not, whether they're really one of us, or not, they are preying on women in there, and not just yeah. in a like I'm dating someone who's hurt and vulnerable way, uh, which is which is the majority of the case. But I mean, there are like serious abuses there. I mean, there we used to have a a problem with. Um, there was this 17 year old girl who was coming into our group and these like 20, 30, 40 year old men were dating her. And oh, God. yeah. So, you know, dating, who knew what that meant? So, you know, it can become very abusive and I don't know. And now I'm really going off on the rails. I have well, some well, there, way to go. That's another thing <laughs> to consider is that maybe women don't feel as comfortable going mm -hmm. to those meetings because they know that there's going to be however many, you know, they might have to deal with some uncomfortable situations mm -hmm. on top of an already yeah. uncomfortable, um, you know, situation to be in. So mm -hmm. that is really interesting. I, I, this is a very random thought that I had, but I did hear that dating apps are now, there are some that you can list yourself as like, sober or someone mm -hmm. who doesn't drink or anything like that so mm -hmm. um, ho hopefully that will be useful <laughs> instead of people meeting at these <laughs> yeah um, very vulnerable like meetings but um wow i didn't even know that so that's yeah well it, yeah, it makes yeah. sense when you think about it sorry go ahead yeah. mike no yeah i mean you you take away the one or the thing that's giving you the most dopamine and and now that's taken away and like what's like the natural that's it's just a natural kind of th response you know because yeah. sex is going to be like one of the closest things mm -hmm. that uh that's going to get there and so that's right. why it happens in rehab all the time all the time yeah. immediately 3 days in people in love wow. yeah three My, i know someone who um went to rehab uh, met their future girlfriend there, and within 30 days of leaving rehab, they were married. I mean, they knew each yeah, other. Yeah, definitely heard yeah. that. Yeah, it's not at all uncommon. So, 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 oh, go, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say, but getting back to what you were uh, talking about, Samantha is kind of women feeling vulnerable when they come in for sure, because that's what's a great thing is about there are like just uh gender specific meetings as well yeah and yeah. because yeah a lot of people do come in with a lot of trauma and like you know being a drug addict there's a lot of like sexual trauma for like mm -hmm. tons of the women that come in there hmm. what about lgbtq do they have groups for like lgbtq or people yes. of color 
Yes. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, I, they do. Well, they have all of that. I, yeah. I don't know about people of color. I know they, they do, do. They do. Really? On, they do on. There's a bunch on Zoom. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. But definitely yeah. LGBTQ. Plus. Yep. There's quite mm-hmm. a few. They're usually called Lambda. Lambda. Yep. Meetings. They have the word Lambda, and that's how you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the group here in Dallas is really great. Oh, good. Okay. It's a yeah. funny, it's a weird thing, though, because AA has this idea that you can't exclude anyone. So, you know, like if someone comes into AA, like with that 17 year old girl, that was a real problem for that group because they said, well, we can't exclude people. We can't tell people not to go, that they can't show up here. Um, you know, and ultimately the group decided, you know, because they were talking about making the eight, the meeting 18 plus, and eventually they decided we can't do that. We have to accept no, everyone. Yeah. So you have yeah. these, these other types of meetings that are supposed to be like that. Um, but you know, any, I still think anyone can probably show up. It would just be a matter yeah, of, of course, you know. It, well, it, except for like one gender, like like a guy, a man, I can't walk into a women's meeting like that. That's not going to be like allowed. Well, you could. That's the thing, though. You could, and then you'd just be an ass. And they might all leave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they'll just all leave. Right. That that you know. Now, before we dive into, I feel like there's like a lot of myths or negative aspects to AA yeah. that people don't know about. But is there yeah. anything good about it that we can? Bring to light to to those of us who haven't had experience with it. You know, are there reasons why you would recommend AA to somebody? Um, does it work for certain people? You know, it doesn't sound like it works great for a lot of people, but maybe for certain kinds of people, it is helpful. Is there anything that you did take away from it that was, you know, something you would recommend to yeah. somebody struggling? Yeah, I mean, so in my opinion. AA is really for people who are bottom of the barrel, completely broken, Mm -hmm. and has always been that way. It's people who have no options left because it is working the 12 steps is very hard. Um, They require you. Not always fun. (laughs) Not fun at all. So, like, for example, step five is you have to confess to your sponsor everything that you've ever done or that's happened to you. So this can be very traumatic for people. Uh, people often hold things back. Um, they don't want to do it. They're terrified yep. of it. And that's just one of the steps, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. And so that's why I think the failure rate is so high is because you have so many people who don't really need it or you know, haven't fallen far enough that, you know, they're going to do it. Um, yeah, and so and so oh so go ahead. go ahead. Okay, okay. So what I was gonna say is yeah, I totally agree with that. Um but like so a positive thing that uh kinda like in that vein is it's like it's for, it is for people if like you're ready to like really like do whatever, you're like just tell me what to do. I have no idea what to do. If you just tell me, I'll do it. Like that's like it works for that attitude and it works for that person a great and it works great if if you i mean for most people i would say and what do we if mean they, by it works yeah. great right and we we mean like they okay. 
Okay, so step nine is you make amends to people you've harmed. So, like, I had literally hundreds of people on my list that I owed apologies to, and I had to pay back a bunch of money. Um, You know, I had to apologize face-to-face to to a lot of people. A lot of people told me they didn't want to talk to me, but that was okay. Um, But, you know, so there's a positive thing. Cleaning up the past, cleaning up your mistakes, trying to rectify harm that you've caused um Mm. and then if you're really doing this you're not causing any more harm you know that's that's why these these uh people that you know who are predators in aa we we often wonder are they really one of us are they real addicts because for me if i caused the kind of harm these people were causing i would go drink and get high like i could not Mm -hmm. i could not stand it um the guilt and the shame that it would cause so or they're just straight up psychopaths. So, you know, when you have, um, but for people who really do this stuff, they stop hurting people. Um, you know, they become better parents, they become better children, yeah. they become, um, you know, better employees. Um, they hold down a job, they're not stealing anymore, they're not, you know, doing things that they, um, you know, like being a sex worker against their will, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, stuff like that, that all stops. So for someone who truly mm -hmm. does this, go ahead. It sounds like it provides like structure to someone with a lot of chaos in their lives or Mm -hmm. some kind of sense of control and like a support group through it. Yeah. It's a life life raft. Yeah. Um, How does one get a sponsor? And what, what is a sponsor? Like in your own words, because I feel like, it's a well-known term and people know what it is, but I think it would be helpful to hear like from your experience, what that means to you. And if you ever become one yourself, Mike, you want to take that? So how do you meet one? How do you get one? Yeah. How do you uh, get one? Usually, usually at the end of meetings, they will say, if anybody's willing to sponsor, will you please raise their, raise your hand? And they will do so, and sometimes they'll even ask another additional question, is there anyone in here who needs a sponsor? But then at that point, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a one-on-one thing after the meeting that happens. And some people that need a sponsor, they'll go up and ask people, and then there's like, People that they're too timid, they don't want to ask at all. And then there's like crazy people that are like, I have to sponsor everybody. And they like chase people and stuff Mm -hmm. and like uh, down the street. So and so, yeah, but it it happens after the meeting. You you get a you get an idea of who is available to sponsor. And and at that point, it's just on you to to make it happen. And so what? is the sponsor do yeah yeah so i think that's a really good question because so many people are just forced into aa and told to get a sponsor and they're like okay uh what is that you know what does the sponsor do so again opinions will vary on because aa is very non-structured that's part of the reason we have these like success rates but we don't really know how true they are because it's like aa is infamously hard to track you know, it's because it's all mm-hmm. anonymous, you know, and every group is different. So in the Dallas area, some group, uh, a sponsor's job is just to take you through the 12 steps. Uh, and they will right. say vehemently, that is a sponsor's job. I'm also of that opinion. 
That's what a sponsor is supposed to do. Show you how to work the yeah. 12 steps out of the big yeah. book of Alcoholics Anonymous. However, yeah. um, there are many people who see in some other groups in Dallas and in many other groups in other um, cities that I've heard of who say a sponsor's job primarily is basically to be accountability buddy. So, you know, when you feel like you're going to drink or use, you call your sponsor. And your sponsor essentially talks you down. And working the 12 steps is really secondary if it's happening at all. And it's not uncommon for people to to say, I'm your sponsor now, and never talk about the 12 steps, period. And all all they do is talk on the phone all the time or meet up and get coffee together. Um, yeah, and, you know. and then the person they're sponsoring continues to get high like every thirty days. Right, right. Uh, totally, because... totally. Yeah, totally. Just a situation recently that I have experienced firsthand. Mm-hmm. With and and so the so if we go back to the beginnings of AA, a sponsor, essentially someone who would bring you into an AA group after you had worked the twelve steps. They would sponsor you into the group. So you wouldn't even get to go to meetings until you had worked the 12 steps. So, you know, it really was centered for a long time around the sponsor works you through the 12 steps, then you start going to meetings. But that started to change over time. um, And eventually we got to this point where sponsors weren't even taking people through the 12 steps in a lot of places. Are sponsors always sober and people who have recovered? They they better be. (laughs) Right. I wasn't sure if there was like a requirement for how long they've been sober, how long, like if they like had been a part of a group for a certain period of time. Yeah. There was like any requirements Mm -hmm. to it. Different opinions for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Different opinions. And yeah. a lot, a lot of the time, it, it depends on like what kind of program you're, wh- how you are getting into. Mm. Um, so there will be um, like you might be in an IOP program; they'll require you to get a sponsor, but they'll say your sponsor must what's have a, one year so. What's an IOP? Uh, intensive outpatient program. So that's like yeah. it's like a rehab where you go home at night. Yeah. Yeah. Step down from inpatient, or some people that don't even need to go inpatient, they just jump right to that level. They yeah. Start there. Um, but jails also, or your, uh, not jails, but your probation or parole probation. officer might require you to get a sponsor with a certain amount of sobriety time. Yeah. So, but it, but in terms of, there's no, again, this AA is so unregulated, you know? Um, so, you know, anyone, I started sponsoring people when I had 45 days sober. And some of those people that I sponsored are still sober today, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's really no requirements. Um, well, unless you're being be, through the, be through the steps is what, right. is what, how, how, uh, I mean, the, well, that's how some groups with. do it. That's what we're familiar yeah. with. And that's what yeah. I would tell my sponsees is you don't start sponsoring until you've been through the 12 steps. But there are places where they'll say you can sponsor up to the level of your experience. So someone who's only gone yeah. through, that's right. very common. Um, yeah. Where, yeah, you're right. So they'll, someone will be on step three and they'll be sober three days sponsoring someone who's on step one who has one day sober. Which is, uh, I wouldn't recommend. But, um, 
you know so there there's it really depends on where you go yeah i mean in like uh narcotics anonymous you don't have to, i don't think you have to work a, a single step and if you're just sober for a year you can just sponsor anybody yeah even you haven't done any you know you've just been going to meetings and drinking coffee you haven't done any inner work that the steps you know do and then you're just like sponsoring people and it's just like mm. everybody's insane there's a lot of uh there's Shouldn't a lot of term. Like... sorry we have <laughs> no, another episode about that right okay. no, <laughs> right you gotta find the replacement words <laughs> you're bananas they're totally bananas. bananas um but there and that's something else that's really interesting is there's a lot of um like there's so many differing opinions and people get like really upset and angry and they will say don't ever go like people in aa will be like don't ever go to any um people in na will be like don't ever go to cocaine anonymous um you know mm -hmm. there will be people in daa who will say they don't have any recovery over there at cocaine anonymous don't go there like you these opinions become people become like what's the word i'm looking for here like you know they get really, really upset. Bleeding deacons? Is that, yeah. is that the right way you said that? Yeah, yeah, the bleeding deacons. That's that's from the, the a book <laughs> what called... What is the, that? It's someone who who won't shut up, <laughs> basically, <laughs> at a meeting and has all these opinions about how <laughs> things should be done and <laughs> everything has to go a certain way. That's from the, uh, the a book in a... Is that? I didn't yeah, know where, it's in the where it was from. Yeah, it's in the 12 steps. Oh, of that's tradition. right. That's right. That's right. That is where it is. So there's all these politics and stuff that go really, on, too. There really is. is. Um, have, are you both uh, sponsors or been sponsors? Yes. Currently, yes, we both are. What's it like to be a sponsor? Well, uh, Mike, you want to do it? I would say that it is a, uh, a a pleasure and an honor and a, and like the highest privilege that the program offers. Um, you know, I am of the school that a sponsor is not a therapist or a banker or anything kind of like that we talked about earlier. So, um. I feel like it it's it's yeah like I said the highest honor we have but it's also takes like consistency like you you have to have you have to have make yourself available really available and and so I would say that I I take that very that's a big priority for me is that if I'm able I can drop whatever and so, but also, uh, it's not something I always want to do either. I'm like, oh God, I got to go drive and see this person now. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's honest, honest opinion too, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's what I'd have to say about it, Adam. Yeah. I mean, so I would say that, um, being a sponsor is amazing in some ways. It's like having a child. It can be very amazing in some way. It really is. Uh, it can be um, overwhelming. It can be really frustrating. Um, you know, so you have to think about how it works. So my job is to work, take you through the 12 steps. And your job is just to do them. 
but you are suffering from a disease that is telling you all the time to go get high and to go get drunk, and you don't want to, and it's, you're making you do it anyway. And you're trying so hard not to do this thing. And then someone else says, the only way to get through this is to basically do all these humiliating things. You know, like you have to confess your sins, so to speak, to me. You have to write it all down. You have to go apologize to all these people you've hurt. Um, you know, you're, it's not going to be fun. So, you know, they, they will um, hem and haw over it. They will, you know, what, you know, it'll almost feel like your time's being wasted because they're not doing what you tell them to do or they're, um, they're sitting on their steps. You know, we call it sitting on your fourth step where they won't write down the stuff they're supposed to write down or they keep relapsing because they won't do these things. Yeah. And, and they call you and they're like, you know, sorry, I was disappeared for two weeks as I was shooting heroin. Man, all you had to do was what I told you to do, you know? Um, and then there's other times where it's like, um, you know, they keep relapsing. You keep having to save them. Sometimes you have to go on these long drives to rescue people in AA. And Michael yeah. knows all about these long yeah, drives. Sometimes you have to go to, where was it? Frost, Texas. I'll never Sometimes forget. Sometimes you got to go and you just don't know. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why do you have to Because they, people just end up in. They just end up in the or? random places. Um, they end with, up in a trailer house in yeah. Frost, Texas. And they're yeah, like, man. I need help. I have to get out of here. I don't know what to, you know, or wow. I need to go to rehab and I'm on the opposite side of, you know, I'm two hours away from the rehab and I have no yeah. money car. So, you know, it can be frustrating, but then you see people recover, you know, um, for every, and I would say it's like, it's about like a one to 10 ratio. So for every 10 people I sponsor, maybe one of them makes, it. Um, but when they make it and they start, making amends and holding down a job and well and raising their kids right or they get their kids back you know that's really cool to see um yeah you know so once you're a sponsor are you a sponsor forever unless you relapse basically yeah or or i mean even if you don't you don't have to be you know it's not a requirement it's not like it's highly recommended yeah okay highly recommended but I mean, you know, the way it works, because of the way it works, it's all voluntary. So someone could be wanting to be a sponsor and available, but just never have anyone ask them or, mm-hmm. you know, n- not have anyone be interested in working with them. Or, you know, they try to work with people, but they everyone they work with disappears because they relapse. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's really different for each person. And some people will be sponsors for a while and then they'll stop. I know a guy who he sponsored heavily for a long time. And he kind of stopped going to AA and you know, stopped sponsoring these guys and told them to get new sponsors. So, I mean, it, it really, it's, again, it's this, all of it comes down to the fact that AA is super unregulated. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, there's no, you just decide you're a sponsor, basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. In general, I guess, yeah. In short. Do you think the way AA is run is different from how other, you know, like you were talking about Narcotics Anonymous and Cooking Anonymous, what do you think is different from 
those with AA? Like, is the process the same? Is the um, the success rate the same? Um, is it different because it's a different drug? Or are they all kind of similar in that they all have to do with addiction? Okay. Let me go first. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So they're all based on the 12 steps, those fellowships that you mentioned. Any anonymous is based on the 12 steps, which is pioneered by Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. okay. Now, Alcoholics Anonymous has its own book original book with the 12 steps narcotics anonymous has its own literature but same steps with just the language changed to powerless over addiction rather than powerless over alcohol um cocaine anonymous and many other fellowships that have drug specific names heroin anonymous met you know different ones crystal meth anonymous they use the original aa big book even though they're drug addicts they don't do Narcotics Anonymous or the Narcotics Anonymous book because, I mean, in my experience and a lot of experience, you people get better and healthier quicker in programs that use the AA literature. It's not true across the board, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's definitely true uh, where I'm I'm around. So yeah, I think it's just that's the difference, right? Literature. Yeah. Yeah, the big difference. And the reason for that is that um a court, from what I've seen in AA groups, I don't know exactly how this goes, you know, pairs up with the literature that NA uses, but they tend to go through the steps much slower. So mm-hmm. I was through the twelve steps within forty five days of getting sober. Um, you know, I've taken people through the twelve steps in a matter of days. Um, and they're complete and ready to sponsor, and they've got maybe a week sober, uh, and they've stayed sober. So, and and a yeah, let's had, add a side note. Can I add a side note? Real yeah, quick? yeah, Sorry. yeah. Okay, so also you can do the steps really quick like that, but your ninth step is something that you continue doing for years. You're not going to pay back five hundred thousand dollars in amends in three days. So yeah. you can continue to go through all the steps, and but you still like making amends for for a long time anyway yeah, that's, sorry. A good, that's a good sorry. point um with with na they tend to at least in the dfw area they do this one step a month thing um and they they tend to really take their time on the steps and that's like a recommendation is that you shouldn't go through the steps too quickly um and so they'll have people who are on their fourth step who have been i've seen this before who have been sober for four years three or four years uh, whereas in AA, you would basically never see that. Uh, the reasoning, right, not as often, yeah, yeah, right. but it it'd be pretty rare. And the reasoning for this is that um, in the big book, they talk. That's how they did it from the beginning. Is they uh-huh. did it very quickly. Um, and the idea is that you have a short amount of time before your mind eventually sends you out to drink, get high, and. Okay. You know, and so you need to work the steps quickly to have this, what, you know, the point of the steps is to give you a spiritual experience that takes away the desire to drink and get high. So you want to get that quickly before you go relapse, basically. And NA just looks at it differently. Yeah, I mean, you might find at, at an NA meeting, someone who's been sober for four years that is like holding on to their chair, just like, I, I want to use constantly. I want to use constantly, but I'm just like 
I'm on my way to the drug house or dope house, but I, I'll turn around. And then, like, you could see somebody in A that's been, like, 30 days sober. And they, like, smoked crack for 10 years, and then they, like, don't want to smoke crack anymore after, like, 30 days of being in AA. I've seen it before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I first got sober, I worked the steps quickly. And, I mean, I think when I had 60 days sober, I had to take some crack away from a friend of mine. And 10 times out of 10, I would have taken that crack away and smoked that crack. And, wow. you know, I mean, I'm going to help you, man. No problem. John had done it Earth. myself. Wow. Uh, I was able to take it and throw it away and not obsess the problem. So, you know, because, from, because I worked them quickly and I had this spiritual right. experience as a result of working them quickly. And a, you know, at least in DFW does it. Um, so I'm sure there, there, I know there are AAs that also tell you to take it slow in other areas. Mm-hmm. So, or do the steps differently um, in certain ways. So, you know, I think I think that it really just it depends. You know, it it depends on the literature they're using. It depends on the area of the country you're in. It depends on the group you're going to in the area of the tree. So, you know, again, it gets back to that unregulation problem. Yeah, and for anybody who's who doesn't have a clue and is maybe like, which one do I go to? What should I do? I mean, that's the thing. You know, you got to. You have to shop around a little bit because in your city or your state or whatever, it's going to be different. Like we have like this, this kind of limited like view based on like where we've lived. Like, so there's wherever you're at, like if you're in Wyoming, like I can't tell you that, you know, things are the same out there. So you kind of just have to go to several ones in the beginning, um, which can be difficult, you know, and somebody that's already going, you know, you may not want to even show your face in even one of them so but that's mm-hmm. just kind of the deal and you look for the people that maybe are the healthiest you know right. right and i mean and it's so common for people to go into meeting and just they happen to go into a bad meeting or it's a good meeting generally but for that night for whatever reason it was off and they never go back and they're like it doesn't work it's horrible it drink or depressed um, because you'll get meetings where people don't talk about the 12 steps at all. All they talk about is how bad they were high. And then that makes other people under drinking get high. So they're like, I'm not going back there. So yeah, that kind of reminds me of the, um, finding a good therapist episode where we talked about like some people don't even want to do it because they had a really bad first experience or sa- yeah. even second experience. And then that keeps you from even going at all. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's a really good thing to point out is that, you know, it's not the same everywhere and you might not find the right group for you, you know, right away. Um, right. Yeah. No, it's so similar to that. Now that you said that it's. Yeah. Really- now. Um. Let's say you aren't sure if you're an alcoholic. Is going <laughs> to AA informative and helpful at all for someone who maybe doesn't know if they have a diagnosis because they don't go to therapy, but maybe someone told them, hey, you know, we think you're drinking a little too much, or maybe they just personally feel like, oh, I feel like I drink all the time. Am I an alcoholic? 
Should I go to one of these meetings? Do you think it's helpful for someone who maybe isn't, you know, ruining their entire lives from it, but maybe is questioning their alcohol use? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, yeah, I've... A thousand percent, right? Yeah. I would mm-hmm. say. Yeah, I've taken a number of people to meetings for who weren't sure if they belong there or not. Um, and they, you know, learned, you know, one way or the other, at least what an alcoholic was as AA defines. Um, so I think it can be problematic, though, because like like I mentioned in the beginning, AA really works best for people who are bottom of the barrel. So someone who's not ruining their life, but even though they might be drinking a ton, uh, they'll come in and they'll see people who have been to prison, people who have uh, would rob people and kick down doors, and you know, people have done all these horrible, lost their jobs and, and getting divorced, and they're like, I have not had any of those things. So at least in the, the groups I've been to, the good group, in my opinion, they try to say, look, this is what defines an alcoholic. And, you know, it's the way that you drink, not these consequences that you've had. So a good meeting will will define that, help people to understand. But, you know, it, it depends on what kind of meeting they walk in. Um, I've seen a guy walk out of AA because they were talking about step two, which is all about, um, you know, how to get a higher power, basically. Because um, the, the goal of AA is to give you a spiritual experience. The way you get that is you get it from a higher power. So... Mm-hmm. You know, this guy didn't believe in God, and maybe if he had walked into a meeting they were explaining how alcoholism works, he might have stayed and, and identified and be like, that's me, uh, maybe I should keep doing these. But instead, he heard God, and he was like, I'm done. And he walked out of, he walked out of there and never went back. So, Which is another episode we, we, Adam and I, have talked about. Yeah. Removing God from the literature, from everything. Yeah. Which yeah. I'm, I'm anti- God. <laughs> the word. Yeah. That is interesting. I could see how that could either really help people if they do believe in God mm-hmm. or really hurt hurt them if they mm-hmm. don't um there or are have some... a bad experience with religion in general. Right. Yeah. And that's very common. That's very common. It's a big hurdle for a lot of people. There are some um agnostic and atheist meetings out there, but they're kind of rare. Most of them because the twelve right. steps was based around, you know, it came for it came out of Christianity essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard. The big book just reeks of the stuff, so it it's does. hard to get away from it. They do the best they could at the time. They did. I they think. try. You can. I mean, they try to say not God, but a higher. But they're still using the word. It, it, it's very mm-hmm. hard, for, and they're still doing things that are Christian, like confession. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, instead mm. of five so it, it's hard they tried to make it that way um but you know they're if you're atheist or agnostic you try to find, find a meeting that caters towards an atheist or a- agnostics which yeah they are there and the and the great i mean the 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 benefit of so many zoom meetings now is you can really really search that specifically out right. and you will you may not have one in your city that's a a bunch of atheists, you know, and then you can find a, no problem atheist AA groups on uh, online. Online, yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely. Sure. Yeah, um, for 
you know, it sounds like you have mixed feelings about the program. I'm just curious, what do you think would be another resource um, if you if someone is struggling with AA and it's not working for them or they don't want to go there for some reason? What's another resource or something that you think would work um, better in some ways that AA, you know, doesn't really do a great job of? Well, so the problem with AA is it's very black and white. It's mm. it's very all or nothing. You either work the steps or you don't. You're either an alcoholic or you're not. Um, mm. You know, if you're a problem drinker, you don't do it. You know, um, and so as opposed to like a, a real alcoholic, so to speak. So there are, there are very much people who will come into AA who are drinking and using hard. Um, but the reasoning for that could be exterior. They have trauma that they're dealing with, right? If they, if they get therapy for their trauma and work through that, they're not going to drink and, and use anymore, or they can, they can control it. You know, um, right. they, they just weren't controlling it because they were using it to treat an illness, or maybe they have bipolar disease and they're using that instead of taking their medications properly. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there are, you know, maybe they just need some cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and for, because for a lot of people, especially I think when people come in very young, um, you know, it's hard to say to someone who's 18 years old, you're an alcoholic when you've only been uh -huh. drinking for six months or a year. So, you know, uh -huh. it's maybe they're, you know, it's very hard to differentiate. So, you know, I, th I think that that's why it's good to have a therapist too. Um, and to look into other things like smart recovery. Mike, you know more about smart recovery than I do. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, the little I do know about an experience with it is it is just basically uh, cognitive behavioral therapy uh, free meetings, you know, that you can go to just like AA. And it's got like a facilitator different facilitators might be the same guy every week facilitates it and you go through they have books you know they have workbooks that are extremely uh helpful talking about you know you weigh pros and cons uh type of stuff and i believe that with smart recovery it's not always the aim to render you completely abstinent yeah is that another like they'll they'll yeah they'll like help, okay now I'm not positive about this but I'm almost positive that they're like okay you want to moderate like or let's try to help you do that you know Instead what does of... smart stand for by the way is it an acronym or is it just called smart it is, I think it is an acronym smart recovery stands for self management and recovery training okay. And how is that different from AA or, like, these other programs? So AA has two tenets. Um, you have to admit that you're powerless over alcohol and drugs, that you on your own can do nothing about it, that there's no way you can manage it by yourself, and that the way you manage it, you manage it is by having a higher power, whatever that looks like to you, essentially come in and remove the mental obsession that you have for drinking and getting high. So 
So a higher power performs essentially a miracle and you no longer obsess about it, which has been my experience. Um, so whereas smart recovery says you can learn how to manage your disease, you know, it, it's secular, um, you know, and it's like, if you do these things, you will learn how to manage things like triggers. You will yeah, learn a lot of that. Yeah. You will learn Is how that, to. Yeah. Does that mean you can drink? You just know how to manage how much you drink or are you talking more like it, you're sober still in this? Like, I think it can be both. Okay. I think it can be both. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think you have to be. Uh, yeah. I don't think the goal is, always, like I said, is always to be is abstinence. Yeah. Whereas, so it's, yeah. It's like self empowerment, you know? Yeah. It's is like uh, I can train my mind like I am strong enough to do this. Um, mm-hmm. No, I'm just going to try. And so, so, and this can, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but this is, this might sound kind of negative, but like, AA is all like you cannot do this. You will never be able to do this. Mm-hmm. You you are hopeless. Yeah. Unless. Yeah, and magic I mean, it happens. <laughs> right. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. But I mean, that is a thing where AA is like if you're best able to do this program if you are hopeless. You know, that's again when we say bottom of the barrel. What does that mean? It's someone who has no hope of getting sober. They have lost all. You know, they have lost complete control. Whereas with these other programs, they they're probably better for people who are problem drinkers. Who you know, they're not. You know, they they just need to learn how to control it, or they need to become abstinent. But you know, they haven't completely destroyed their lives as a result of this. Or they're not completely addicted. Would you still call them alcoholics? Um, They may not not refer uh, to themselves always as that. I don't think. I don't think that that's actually something that you have to. That is normal, even. Yeah, I don't know enough about it, but I know that they are probably with the culture of like you should not call yourself an alcoholic or an addict anymore, like. Yeah, which I which a is kind of anti, but I actually am of that opinion that we should move away from addressing ourselves like that. Yeah, the the labeling of yourself as an alcoholic or a drug addict is very important. Um, I think in in AA because that's part of the mm-hmm. first step, admitting what mm-hmm. I am, you know, and no mm-hmm. longer kidding myself that I'm not an alcoholic or I'm not a drug mm-hmm. addict. Um, but there are people, I mean, there are people who can, who can moderate. I believe that. And I believe that, I totally believe that applies to all drugs and alcohol. There are people who can learn how to moderate heroin use. Um, you know, it's just, you know, many people want that to be the case when for them, it's not the case, you know, or like they can moderate weed, but they can't moderate heroin. And they really want to be able to moderate heroin, mm-hmm. but it's just not going to happen. Also, you can just walk it. You just go into smart recovery, just like with any addiction. Yeah, you know, you don't that's true. Alcoholic. You can just be like, I, be uh, I spend too much. Yeah, yeah, I spend too much money at Walmart like yeah. every week. Gambling addict. Yeah, that'd be my problem. Right. But uh uh, what else was I going to say? I think it's harder. It was harder for me to just like 
find a smart recovery meeting. I had to like go to this website and like sign up for something. Mm -hmm. And then they allowed me into some database. And then I was like, how do I even get on this zoom call? Mm. So like at that Mm. point of like, I was just fresh coming into sobriety. I was like, okay, this is just for me. AA is very easy to access and it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What other questions? Um, All right. Any, yeah. Any, any big uh, bang closing kind of questions? The real, the real tough toughies, (laughs) the ones that are really going to stir the pot. Oh man, that's a good one. Um, well, I, I was thinking of one that wasn't super controversial, but, um, you know, it was just along the lines of how how do you best support someone who's going through AA? But I think that could be good for another top uh, episode is, mm-hmm. like, how to best support someone who's going through an addiction because I think there's a lot we could talk about there. Well, um, yeah. can, we, can we ask you to, to talk about, like, what is your impression of the sobriety type of stuff and so like yeah what's your opinion like how do you see it how have you experienced it what does it look like sure um yeah so I, i don't have a ton of experience other than having known someone um who had gone through the process i wasn't very close with them so i didn't get like details or information all i knew about this person was, it was becoming a problem and they went through AA and it really worked out for them. So, um, you know, that was like a positive experience for this person. But I think for me as someone on the outside, you know, the depictions in media is very much like the labeling, the confessing, like, kind of dragging your feet into these meetings and just kind of like sitting there and wallowing a little bit. And I think it's depicted as like something people are forced to go to rather than like empowered to go to. That's really why I was like really intrigued by this smart recovery um, process because it feels like, like you said, like one is a little bit more empowering where the other is like in AA, it's like a little bit more hopeless and like, giving into something and labeling yourself and like almost shameful in a way. And I think I've seen that in like just depictions and media um, and just this overwhelming like resistance almost like it seems like it's something that um, people are afraid to talk about or afraid to bring up that they go to these meetings. Mm. Um, And then Additionally, it's like, I feel like personally, and again, I don't have much experience, but I think for me, if I were going through AA and there was this overwhelming feeling of like, you are hopeless to this, you know, disease, that if you were ever to relapse or make a mistake, like, even if it wasn't, you know, a big mistake, or even if it was like, that I feel like would feel even worse because you started and then you took a step back and it feels like you're going backwards so I feel like in my head I would feel like shameful about ever relapsing ever having a moment where I slipped up ever having like and I think 
there should be more of a push around how to manage those feelings rather than be like, no, you cannot do this at all. Uh, otherwise, you are, you're back to square one or, you know, you've made no progress or something like that. Um, I've seen shows or, you know, movies where, like, the person slips up and it's, it like, it's as if they're back to being an addict again and it's like, mm-hmm. you know all the progress that they made wasn't worth it or didn't do anything. And I think that can be really harmful, especially for people who have been sober um, for a really long time and it worked out for them and they make one mistake and it's not like that replaces all the work they've done. Um, This idea that you like restart all the days um, back to day one of being sober after you slip up, I think is, It makes sense, but it also feels like the counting aspect is a little, um, I can see how it's like a good milestone and like a good motivator, but I also feel like it, it makes you feel like you're on edge all the time. Like you're constantly counting the days and then like, it feels like the stakes are higher or something. And I think that can also make it feel contradictory to like the progress like you know taking each day as it comes and not like counting all these days where you're sober right um and then you reach you know however many days and it's like oh my gosh if I slip up it's because like you know I was sober for this long and not because like oh I'm mentally ready and good and stable in my life so um yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's I, really, that's really, really good. Uh, yeah, just it was really good to hear that. Actually, about it. <laughs> uh, it, it is, man. I mean, because it, it's such a thing. And the longer you stay sober, the more pressure there is. You know, it's like okay, you, you know, you you relapse after thirty days sober. Everyone's like, ah, oh, that sucks, but whatever. But you've been sober for you know twenty, thirty years, and then you relapse. Everyone's like, this is a disaster. You know, yeah. and, and like it's I, like, the, oh, go ahead. I feel like there's so much more compassion for in the mental health space for people who suffer from depression and they're doing really great for a couple of days and then they have a bad day. It's like, there's a lot of compassion for that. Like, oh, well, healing is, isn't linear. Like things take time. Like you're not going to mm-hmm. be happy every day and that's okay. Whereas with like, like being an alcoholic, it's like, oh, if you mess up one day, like you, like everything, it just feels like so much more dramatic and shameful. And there's like no room for mistakes almost. Yeah. It it made me think, I completely agree, but it did make me think of something that it's like, also like if someone with depression like has a bad day, it's like, okay, that's, if like an alcoholic or an addict like relapses like after 30 days maybe they were doing great they got back in the house and then they mess if they if they relapse for one day it's not just a bad day for like someone with depression it's like oh he picked up heroin after 30 days and then he robbed his dad of all of his medicine he stole the car he wrecked it into the neighbor's mm-hmm. house and now he's on the run from the police like all that can happen in a, literally one day yeah with, with addiction yeah. so i mean that's kind of why it uh maybe well, you know what i mean 
Yeah, yeah, no, I see where you're coming from. It is very black and white, though. Um, I mean, AA is so black and white, and <clears throat> and and that is one problem, you know, with this whole counting of the days thing. Um, and I think that, you know, yes, there can be situations where it's like, okay, you know, they have they have totally done what Michael was talking about, but there's you know just as many where it's like all they did was smoke a bunch of weed and that was it, right? You know, That's and true. then they went back to being sober. And, you know, when we look at, um, I've seen this before in studies on this stuff, they don't measure, you know, like how many days sober you had period. They look at how many days sober versus how many days using. And if you reduce the number of days using, you know, compared to the day sober, but not, you know, not eliminate, but just reduce it, they see that as a plus, you know, that's positive. So that's my story for me. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. And it it doesn't erase all that good stuff, you know. Like if I went mm-hmm. and shot some heroin after this podcast, it wouldn't be like the 10 years where I, you know, built a business and, you know, didn't hurt anyone and apologized to everyone and paid up back all the money. It's not like that just disappears, you know. Um right. you know, sh- certainly I could cause some new harm in my life, but um, you know, I, I think that's often, it's like you said, you know, it's, it's so black and white and, and it, it very much puts this sense of guilt and shame into the person because they blame themselves for it. They, they say, I have done this. I have made this choice. This is because I didn't do X, Y, Z. Um, and then that guilt and shame keeps people from going back in. I mean, when I first tried the program, I got sober for about three months and then I had a relapse and I was terrified to go back into my home group. I never wanted to go back again because I felt so ashamed to see these people and to say to them, you know, I need to start over. Um, so I just kept using, you know, I, and I wonder, I have to wonder, you know, how if that could have gone otherwise you know it wasn't like they were going to shame me or anything no you know it was all in my head but because i had that idea in my head in the first place that it's all or nothing i'm either sober or i'm not you know Mm -hmm. i think it it sounds like it would be ideal for people who are going to aa to also go to therapy because you can get in your own head even if you're getting help um, oh, yeah. You know, it's a different kind of help. And, you know, it sounds like it can affect you both good and bad. And being able to handle both, I think, with oh, an sure. outside source is, um, yeah, I mean, of course, you can't always afford it. But I think it sounds like maybe if you're in therapy while also going to these meetings, you have a little bit more room for you know, exploring those feelings rather than feeling so much shame and not even going to them. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's really interesting. And thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, do you think that, and this might be a little, uh, I don't want this question to sound like inappropriate or (laughs) like misinformed, but can someone who was or is an alcoholic eventually get to a place where they can moderate their drinking? Like maybe they were more than just a problematic drinker. Maybe it really did mess up their lives, but 
going through that process has led them to a place where they can moderate it? Or is it usually just this black and white, like if you have a problem with it, then you really can't use it at all? Well, so the big book majority. Yeah. Yeah. According to the big book, it would say it says we're like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. So once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Um, you know, that's why this stuff is so hard to pin down because it's like, you know, were they really an alcoholic? Well, if you compare the way they drank to the way I drank, it was identical, you know, and then they've been sober 10 years. I've been sober 10 years. They relapse and they're not going crazy, you know, (laughs) but I know in my heart because of my experience in the past that if I were to start drinking again, I would go crazy. Um, So I think it's very possible um, that as people, as people grow and change, um, you know, as their, you know, the connections in their brain change that they can, you know, stop, they can just learn to drink moderately and not have a problem with it. Um, And I think there's just as equally, and we see this a lot. There are people who get, you know, have been sober for decades and they go back out and it's just as bad as it was before. And they are still very yeah. much alcoholics and drug addicts. Well, and it's it's also a different way of thinking, too. Like, like there's maybe a person who really was like a real deal. Like, I mean, if you if you do heroin for more than a week, you are going to be addicted to heroin, therefore a heroin addict. Right. And that doesn't right. mean, necessarily mean it fits the model of addiction that AA teaches uh, necessarily, but what was I going to say? I lost my train of thought there. Um, oh yeah. So, so a person that is able to moderate and they think I want to moderate. I mean, that's like a different mindset. Like for a person like me, I'm like, wow, doing heroin once a month sounds awful. I would like to do yeah. that every day. If I did that, I, uh, I don't want to have I three see. beers. Is a, just just sounds awful, terrible idea that yeah. I would have to stop. Okay, right. that Sorry. is such yeah. a thank you for saying it like that. I think that is so helpful for someone who m- may not understand it completely, like me. Like I, I can definitely get. I understand that now. Like I think that is also mm-hmm. helpful for someone who's like, well, like maybe I drink every day, but I have a glass of wine at dinner. Like, what does that mean? And for someone to explain it the way you did, I think it's really um, enlightening for sure. It's like, it's not about the, I mean, it is about the amount of course, but it's more about stopping rather than like how often or what you're drinking or how, like how how many glasses of wine or something. It's about like Mm -hmm. being able to stop when you want to. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to put it Um, because I, and I also think, you know, there are people out there who maybe they aren't ruining their lives, aren't the bottom of the barrel, like broken, but maybe they are drinking too much and maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, their lives aren't, you know, hurt from it, but maybe it's affecting their lives in other ways and even their bodies, right? Like just because you can handle your alcohol doesn't mean you should be drinking it all the time. Um, So, I mean, like, like with anything, moderation is key. So I think, 
you know, I think with having this black and white thinking around alcohol, it kind of makes people feel like, well, I don't have a problem, so I can just drink all the time. I'm a, I don't like misuse it because I don't cause harm or I don't owe people money. But then it, yeah. you're then you're ignoring all the other issues that come with it, even if it's not an addiction related issue. Um, it could be issues that happen in your body and not taking yeah. care of your body. Yeah. No, I agree. And I, I think that the 12 steps can be helpful for people like that. Um, you know, it, I think that if they say the problem is in the very beginning, it's like you have to admit you're powerless, you know, but I, I think that anyone can work the 12 steps, do the rest of the actual work, the writing um, that is done in step mm-hmm. four and the confession stuff without necessarily saying they're powerless. And yeah, of course, they can get a benefit out of it. So, you know, it's just definitely in AA, if you won't admit that you're powerlessness, most sponsors are going to be like, no, I'm not going to work. Yeah. I can't take you through. I can't take you through the rest because you can't do that. Yeah. Which is, I mean, kind of what they're supposed to do. I mean, but I mean, that's why there's so many other, uh, fellowships, you know, that, I mean, you could make a, you could make a I get too stressed out anonymous. And it's like, what's your first step for that? You know what I mean? It's like you can make a 12 step fellowship like from that and you wouldn't have to. Right. You know, you know what I'm saying? You know. Yeah. Lit balm anonymous, man. I use too much lip it's balm. It's a real thing. Yeah. I is know. There, this is such a random question, but is there ever a time where you go to these meetings and it's supposed to be alcoholics anonymous, but then you run into someone, you know, and that creates like a conflict of interest. Yeah. It happens. Oh, big yeah, big. I think so. What's your experience, and, and, Mike? Yeah. No, I just know someone really well who is a really well-known member in their community and they kind of started getting seen by other people that were, you know, mm. very well-known members in their community. And then they started, like, threatening somehow to, like, use it against them and stuff. And, like, these two people, they were a married couple, very uh, awesome people. They, like, stopped going to 12-step meetings because of this. Yeah, I, I, I think it's been over for like thirty years, but but was basically like I had to just it got too political. I had to not even go there anymore. Yeah, it can definitely cause a conflict of interest. I mean, I that's why they call it Alcoholics Anonymous, and you're supposed to stay anonymous. But a lot of people won't respect that, you know. Yeah, and know. and it depends on where you go too. I mean, there are some meetings that the whole meeting won't respect it and they will call you by your full name and stuff like that which is really bizarre to me but i think i think think the paparazzi is actually pretty respectful though like they don't they won't follow like they won't wait outside like aa meetings in la like waiting for celebrities to come out i'm pretty sure they are actually pretty good about that because there's a lot of uh celebrities in the aa Right. Mm-hmm. So that that's you know, I feel like there is some respect there. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I was just wondering that because it's supposed to be this like safe space, but of course you can always run into someone you know. Yeah. People uh, are people. <laughs> well, and and right. you know, it, it can be I've heard a story of um, you know, a woman 
went to a meeting and she was a teacher and um in the meeting was another woman who had her daughter with her and the daughter went to the school and then the daughter ended up talking about it at school and it became this whole problem for the teacher you know Mm -hmm. so you know it it definitely can become problematic you know you have to be you have to be real careful yeah that makes sense another another advantage of all these zoom meetings now yeah because you can just keep your video off and they're sticking around it's just such an advantageous like yeah just something that came from us locking down with people staying in their homes more is yeah so it's really really great resource oh that's awesome uh one last question um to wrap up what do you think um it's going to change, you know, like the AA culture, the language, or do you think it's just going to be more of this, like these other kinds of groups that are emerging that are a little bit more accepting or empowering in other ways that maybe AA doesn't have to offer? Yeah, I think you're always going to have um, these kind of what you would call hardcore AA groups who are very fundamentalist by the book literally. Um, and I think that there are going to be group AA groups who will, you know, become more, I don't know, open-minded, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, sure. I think the majority AA hasn't changed a whole lot in the last 80 years or however long it's been. It's so been, yeah, it hasn't been around very long, you know? When yeah. You so I, I, doubt that AA, AA hasn't changed that much in that time. I just think new groups will show up, kind of like NA did. You know, NA showed up, I think, in the 60s or 70s and kind of started making its own way. So I think any sort of change would come in the form of new groups like NA, Smart Recovery, stuff like that. Right. Yeah, and I think I think it's all about connection and people uh, wanting a common goal and saying, you know, we really want this better life. We want to turn away from the past. We don't want to do it like this. We want to do that. Can we, you know, people yeah. get connected. They can make great things happen and and find, uh, you know, gr- attract the people that, that need to get to them where it will help them best. So I believe that. But in all, all honesty, I mean, AA will be the most, uh, it's the most, there's, there's just so much of it everywhere, you know, and yeah. it's going to yeah. be, it's going to be the, the top one for a long time. Probably. Yeah. It ha- it just has been, you know, it's, yeah. it is the, it is the go-to for courts, for rehabs, for, I don't see that changing anytime soon, which, you know, whether that's good or bad, it, it is what it is. I don't think that's going to change. Yeah, and I would just say, bottom line, to kind of the last thing I really would just say is like, with uh, it, it, it is a good thing at the end of the day, and it, it does. If you throw yourself completely into it, there's a highly a high possibility that it will that it can alter your life for the better. Yeah, I agree with that. That's great, and I think being aware of the kinds of things that you both were talking about is probably helpful, like going into it, what to look out for, what are kinds mm-hmm. of things that might, might not be as helpful or might, you know, um, skew your perspective a little bit. So I think going into a program like that, knowing that there are some limitations or 
alternatives maybe to some of the things that um, they do is, I think, a really good perspective to have. So thank you yeah. so much for sharing. Um, I just, I gained a lot more information about it um, than I would have, you know, just even Google searching. I think it's good to have, you know, personal experiences, opinions. Um, it sounds like, you know, like anything, it's like a very nuanced sort of thing that works for some people and doesn't for others. So, um, yeah, I think that was really insightful and helpful for someone who hasn't been through the program. To get more mental health and addiction content, check out our blog at adamfout.com. And while you're there, take a look at the store where we sell mental health and addiction merchandise. Thanks for listening. You're the reason we do this.